series um, that I was able to start last year, and um, I think I did about four lessons on that, and then took a break in that series and wanted to be able to come back to that series now this year and do four more lessons about the idea of how to have faith Uh, when suffering, when going through hardships and difficulties, and also in talking about when to have, how to have faith when life is hard because of persecution, because of your faith, because of the sake of righteousness. And this is what the Apostle Peter is writing to in the whole book of, uh, of First Peter. That whole, whole book is written to that concern and to those particular issues. Uh, but to notice how Peter then gives these instructions, understanding that Christians are going through very hard times for their faith, I think makes it very valuable to think about for ourselves then the instructions that are given for the times not only when we are suffering and going through difficulty, uh, but also as the world turns more and more against God, how we will be able to handle those circumstances and what God ultimately expects of us. If you have your Bibles, I would like for you to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. That will be our basis of our study tonight, 1 Peter chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I want to draw your attention to a, a quotation that Peter gives as he starts to quote from David. And he says there in verse 10, Whoever desires to love life and see good days. And I want you to think about that for a minute because I think if I took a poll, everybody would say, yes, I desire to love life and see good days. I don't desire to hate life. I desire to love life. I desire not to see bad days. I desire to see good days. And this is the framework that the Apostle Peter is working with. If you desire to have a good life and love life and see good days, then he's going to give directions on how that's possible. And that's particularly interesting to say this in light of the fact that he is at a, writing at a time when Christians are going through difficulties. In fact, if you have your eyes there in 1 Peter 3 and, and verse 10, I noted that that is a quotation from verse 10 to verse 12 from David himself. And David pins that in what we know as the 34th Psalm. And if you were to read the header of the 34th Psalm, this is when David is on the run and he's going through hardship. The header to that Psalm says this is when he pretended to be crazy to the Philistines to try to be able to protect his life. So how interesting that David is on the run for his life. He's suffering for the sake of righteousness because Saul is trying to kill him. And he writes, whoever loves life and sees good days. And Peter says, hey, that's, that's important for us to think about as the people of God who need to love life and see good days, even when things are hard and when it is suffering and when it is difficult and when we might be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So what I want you to notice is what he describes in this, because what Peter says, I think, is, is challenging. Back up one verse to verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this is to what you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, 
Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Let's stop there and think about what he just said. When you read verse 9, I think that's pretty challenging. When you have evil done against you, don't do evil back. When you are insulted, do not insult back. When reviled, don't revile back. When mistreated, don't mistreat them back. What you have Peter doing as he opens up this section is telling Christians, when you're going through hard things, I want you to keep doing good. And if you've been in tough times, and in particular, if you have someone who is an opponent to you for the cause of Christ, they just don't like you, they're your enemy, they they try to harm you, they do evil against you, there is a very, very strong temptation in those circumstances to not want to do good anymore. Somebody's doing something wrong to me, I'm not going to do them good. Somebody is trying to harm me, I'm not going to do them good. They're insulting me, why would I ever do something good toward them? They're being hurtful, I'm not going to do good for them. It is the most natural reaction that we would have. Somebody's trying to get us, I'm not doing anything good toward them. And what's, what's funny is we might almost think of ourselves as holy because... Well, I didn't do something bad back, (laughs) but I I want you to notice not only here, but as we go through the lesson, he's going to talk about doing good. In fact, you saw that in verse nine, he doesn't say don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling period. All right, we, we didn't respond in kind, but notice the rest of verse nine. I want you to bless them. The idea of doing that to people that harm us, the people that are trying to hurt us, that do evil things to us, is a tremendous challenge. And what Peter is going to explain for us in this section that I think is really the big overriding question is why should I keep doing right when somebody's doing wrong toward me? How am I supposed to do good by someone when they're trying to harm me? How am I supposed to be able to keep doing good things in the midst of difficulty, hardship, and suffering? And so Peter writes this particular paragraph to explain how that's supposed to happen. And notice the very first answer that he gives is where we started in the lesson. Verse 9 is, do not repay evil for evil. Do not revile for reviling. On the contrary, bless, for this is... To what you are called that you may obtain a blessing. And then notice verse 10 says, for here's one of the reasons why you're not going to retaliate. Here's one of the reasons why you're not going to revile when reviled or insult when insulted or return evil for evil. Verse 10, if you desire to love life and see good days, you won't do that. Isn't that an interesting response that Peter has? You will give a blessing because you desire to love life and see good days. And I think we could certainly point out that Peter would be saying, if we want to have a relationship with God, that's going to be a necessary answer. But I don't know that that's exactly the point. 
I think the point is a little bit more practical. Does any good to your life happen when you return evil for evil? Does that really turn out well? (laughs) When you revile and insult them back just like they were doing to you, does that promote a good life and seeing good days? Uh, it, It doesn't. Usually it just makes things worse. It just sparks the fire all the more. They did evil, you do evil, so they do more evil. So then you do some more, and then they do some more, and you just keep spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And he's giving us a picture here. If you want to have this desire to love life and see good days, don't engage in the firefight of words. Don't do what they do to you. Don't retaliate. Just because they harm you, don't respond back in that way. And I hope you think about, oh, that's hard, isn't it? That is hard. The most natural human reaction is I'm going to do to you what you did to me and or I might even do it worse. You know, you might think of people like Cain and Lamech in the early days. Of just, someone harms me, I'm going to harm them seven times back. I'm going to get them even worse if they do something to me. But I want you to hear God saying, I want you to have a good life. And that's not going to promote godliness or a good life or to be able to enjoy life at all. Engaging in that kind of situation. There is no joy in maintaining a firefight with somebody at work or in your family. And you just have this horrible tension and this uh, horrible situation that just remains as this dark cloud over it. As you're responding back and forth and, you know, giving them the cold shoulder and mistreating them because they mistreated you. Peter says, if you want to love life and see good days, don't do that. And I want you to notice the next picture he does right along with that. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do do evil. And so here we have this picture of why should we keep doing right? One, we want to love life, desire to love life and see good days. But I want you to notice in verse 12 what he says. With this temptation, we want to stop doing good and stop doing what is right. But Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. When you are going through suffering, when you are going through hardship, when you feel like you are taking on the insults for the cause of Christ, when people are maligning you and doing evil, the thing that you want most at that time is God's eyes on you. And you want him to hear your prayers. Because notice what's being underscored. If we stop doing what's right, if we stop doing what is good, then his eyes are not going to be on us. His ears are not going to be open to our prayers. Notice it's what it says at the end of verse 12. It says that the the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How we respond to what people do to us dictates whether God's face is toward us or God's face is against us. Isn't that interesting? 
We would sit back and go, well, God's got me no matter what because they did something wrong. But notice God is measuring our response. How you handle that circumstance determines if God's ear is open to our prayer. And that should make sense. If they do evil and we do evil back, are we any better? Uh, Have we done anything there? Are we any closer to God because of that? How can we sit back and say, well, we're righteous and they're wicked if we're treating them the same way they're treating us? And that's what God is putting his finger on here through the Apostle Peter. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Keep doing what is right because you know God hears your prayer. Keep doing what is right because you know God sees what you're going through. Keep doing what is right because God sees that you are not returning evil for evil. Sometimes I think that's the hard part for us is we feel like, well, nobody sees the good that I'm doing. They're doing evil. and They're harming me. and They're trying to destroy me. I want you to see what God says. I see. God says, my eyes are on you. I see that you're being righteous and my ear is open to your prayer. And so nobody else may know what you're going through. And you may think nobody else sees how you're trying to do what's right in the face of that evil. But God is saying right here, he sees. And that's why you're not going to respond in kind. That's why you're not going to insult or do evil back is because we want the face of the Lord upon us. We want him to hear our prayers. We need him all the more during these times. And if we retaliate, God says there at the end of verse 12, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So do right because he is going to listen. Now, I think this is an interesting way that Peter says that because I think we need to think about if we want God with us when we're suffering. When you are going through a circumstance where you're being maligned, where you're being mistreated, where you're being harshly treated, where you're going through those difficult circumstances, That's when you want God the most. And if we choose to do evil, then we're letting go of that great hope. We're letting go of these words that God says, but I hear, I hear your prayers and I see, and I see exactly what you're going through. And I am there with you. Now, I think there's a little bit of of irony in my mind as you read verse 13. I think it is a a, a, a curious thing that you'll notice that you have in, in verse 13. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Well, I thought we were just talking about that problem. The whole section has been talking about you're doing good and you're being reviled for it. You're being mistreated for it. You're being insulted. You're suffering because you're trying to do what is right. You're trying to do good. You're trying to handle these things in the best way. And I want you to notice that he puts goodness forward as really a principle. 
And he, I want you to notice that he says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous to do what is good? Now, obviously, Peter has not forgotten what he's talking about. Back in chapter 2, in verse 20, he said, but if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So, so Peter has not forgotten and thought, all right, well, if you just always do good, You'll never suffer. You'll never have mistreatment. Clearly, that's not the point he's making. But there is a reminder. There is a reminder here that there is this principle of goodness. That if you do good, you will avoid a lot of suffering in life. There are a lot of self-inflicted wounds that we place upon ourselves by not doing what is right. And Peter is essentially reminding us of the, the, the principle of the Proverbs that these are not absolute truths, but they are generally important truths that are hold true. That if you generally do good, that generally there are good outcomes from that. And if you generally do wicked things, that there are wicked outcomes that come from that. And Peter is reminding them of that. And one of the reasons why I think he wants to remind us of this very important principle is sometimes we have the tendency to complain about our mistreatment and our suffering, but it's actually self-inflicted. It's funny, I, my wife and I are watching a, a curious show right now that's a reality show, and there's this one person in the show who's just really, really aggressive, and she can't figure out why nobody likes her for all these days. And you're sitting there on the couch going, because you're being terrible to people. <laughs> There's a general principle that if you do good, there will be some good things that come from that. And there is a lot of mistreatment and a lot of suffering that comes from not doing what's right. And you probably have friends that way who are co-workers or have been schoolmates or longtime friends or wherever they are in, in your life who are going through hard things and you listen to their pain and suffering and yet you know, well, the reason you're going through that is because you made these really terrible decisions. And that's why you're at where you're at. And so Peter is reminding us of that truth, that God did make the world that way, that we will suffer consequences for the decisions that we make, that God does not erase that at all. So don't complain about suffering if it's simply by our own hand and by our own will to not do what is right. But notice he even comes about and understands that verse 13 is not an absolute because look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. So he's already not putting that forward as an absolute. And don't you know if you do good, you will never suffer. He very next breath says the opposite. He's giving us the general principle, but then he reminds us in verse 14, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right, let's talk about 
this picture because now he zeroes in on the problem of suffering in the face of doing what's right. Here we are. We're trying to follow Christ. We're trying to do what is right. We are trying to be holy and true and pure. And yet in the face of doing that, we are going through hardships and difficulties. Listen to what he says there in verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. One of the things that should happen is we go through that kind of mistreatment is within us. There is a confidence that we are blessed by God for what we are doing. Uh, When I think of this, I can't help to think back to college, which was four score and seven years ago. You know, back in way old long days. But I had to take a, uh, a, a public speaking class in a, in a university. And we were allowed to do whatever speech we wanted to do. It just had to be a persuasive speech. And it weird enough to me, because I look back at that and I had zero intention of ever preaching. But I had this really crazy idea that, oh, we can do any persuasive speech that we want. I will do a persuasive speech on the gospel. I'll give a five-minute persuasive speech on the gospel. So that was my persuasive speech. I decided I'd just do a quick thing about, about that. And everybody had all these crazy, you know, wicked, horrible things, persuasive, trying to persuade people to do about sexual things and all that. And I had a wild hair that this would go really great for me if I did that. And I will never forget that my grade for that was a zero because I spoke about Christ in a university platform. Not an F, a zero. And it put my grade to an F because of the weight of what that speech was. And while I went through that whole fight of trying to get that corrected, one of the things that I had inside of me was this confidence of, but that was the right thing to do. And that's what you're going to have, is that people are going to malign you and mistreat you and put you through hard things, and it's going to hurt. But you are going to have this one thing. You're going to know you did the right thing. And that's what he's saying in verse, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you know you did the right thing. You're blessed. God sees. God knows what you're doing. And thus he continues with that and says, have no fear of them. Don't be afraid of what they're going to do. You go ahead and say what is right. You go ahead and do what is right. You go ahead and be faithful because that's what God has called you to do. This is how you'll receive a blessing from God. That's what he said back there in verse nine. To this you were called so that you may obtain a blessing. Do what is right. Do what is good. Even in the face of that verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Just think about that. As you're going through the maligning and mistreatment and they're saying awful things about you, you're still holding Christ holy in your heart. You're holding on to that. You, whatever they're saying, that's all right. I'm not, not going to listen to that because I know I'm doing what's right. I'm holding on to Christ. I'm holding on to him as holy. And I'm going to keep doing that. Verse 15, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. If you want to explain yourself, good. But he says, don't let that turn evil for evil in a, in a reviling and assaulting. Do it with gentleness and respect. 
This is why I believe what I believe. This is why I have to do what I need to do because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And you have to love the picture of verse 16 because this really zeroes in on why it is so important for us to do good when we're mistreated. It says in verse 16, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. All right, I'll have to think about that one for a minute. Why would doing good in the face of the mistreatment of others cause them to be ashamed of their slander? I think that's an interesting way that Peter puts that. Why would that be so important? How is this going to put them to shame or make them ashamed of of their slander? And I hope that you think about if you have this, this condition where somebody is maligning you and they're saying things about you because of your faith, because of what you believe in, because you hold to the standard of Christ and you respond with evil, aren't you proving the slanderers to be true? If they're saying you're terrible because you believe in da-da-da and you don't think we should da-da-da and all of these things that you believe as a Christian and we respond back with slanderous evil words too, didn't we just validate the argument they made? That's, I think, what Peter is saying here. We're not allowed to validate their evil by doing evil. One of the things that is fascinating to read about is I'd prepped for the book of Revelation and I shared with you in the Bible class about what Pliny had asked to, to Trajan and that response of what Christians are doing is that it became such a curiosity to those who were not believers in Christ as Christians were going through these trials that they were undergoing to determine if they were truly Christians or not. And that you would find that they would look at this and go, you're claiming that they are these, you know, horrible people in the empire, and yet we don't see it. Did you remember that of how Pliny wrote, you know, all I can figure out that these guys do is they meet together on a certain day and they talk about this guy and they pledge together to do good deeds. How can that be so terrible to the empire? That's what he writes to Trajan. I, I don't understand. That's the whole point is if they had responded in kind, think about what the letter would say. You're right, they do talk evil about people, and they are spreading wickedness, and they are just like everybody else. We have to be different. And that's the picture that Peter is giving here in verse 16, is having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, and those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. If we... Do not suffer in a way that does right to those who do wrong to us, then we are proving them to be right. One more thing I want you to see, and then we'll wrap up with these four points that we've looked at and summarized them. But I want you to look carefully at verse 17. The way Peter says this is interesting. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, The thing that I think is interesting is not what he, the main point of what he says, but what he inserts in the middle. 
Certainly true. It is better to suffer for doing good than to, than for doing evil. Absolutely. But did you notice what he said in the middle of that? If that should be God's will, it is better to suffer for doing good if that's God's will. And I think this is an important reminder for us is that our suffering is not outside of God's hands or God's control. And that is so easy to forget. I think one of the reasons why we are tempted to respond evil for evil, insult for insult, fight fire with fire, is we forget that God is in control. And how many times do we see this in the lives of the people of scriptures where God is trying to show I'm actually in control over the events that are going on. Joseph's life is a great one. I really want to get to preach Joseph. It's been a long time since I've talked about him. Maybe at the end of this year, maybe next year, sometime soon. I'm burning to do a series on him because this is a great picture of this truth. God is fully involved from start to finish. From the very beginning, when Joseph comes on the scene, this all begins because God gives him a vision. And then it all terminates because God has been with him through all of this. That God was using Joseph through all of those circumstances. And you can think about so many people in the scriptures that way. David is fascinating to me. It, no sooner is David anointed to be the next king that life is terrible for him. You would think that would be like opening the door to glory at that point. You're going to be the next king. Your life's going to be easy. It's going to be great. He's anointed by Samuel and then life is terrible for years. Why? Because God's moving him through it. And of course, Jesus is our ultimate example of that truth. Of God being with him and moving him through these difficult circumstances and putting him in the place of suffering so that he could endure for our for our very sake. We cannot forget how often we are shown that God allows suffering into our lives. Job opens the book of Job opens. With Satan challenging God over a righteous servant like Job. And the good news is, is the picture is not, Satan is just going crazy up there doing whatever he wants to do and God has to kind of come in behind him and clean up the mess. The good news is, what Satan does is always has to come before the throne of God. Satan comes in and goes, he only serves you because you let him have good stuff. And God then puts boundaries to what the trial is going to have and says this much and no further. When Job succeeds at that trial, Satan tries again and the boundaries are moved out a little bit further. You just can't kill him. Okay. It is so important to see that what we are supposed to do with our suffering is not allow that to cause us to push God away, but to see the hand of God all the more. And that's hard. And that hurts. 
but you're supposed to see the hand of God. And Peter just sums up that idea very well right here when he just simply says, it's better to suffer for doing good. And if that's what God wills for you, then that's what God will will for you. But God is with us in that suffering. For God to say these words means that God sees. God knows what you're going through. God knows what your mistreatment is. God knows what your suffering is. God knows every moment of what's happening to you. And he's with you in those difficulties. So let's conclude. The question I put forward and then the four answers that Peter gives. How is it possible to keep doing good when suffering? How is it possible to keep doing right when experiencing evil for the sake of righteousness? Number one, Peter said, we all want to love life and see good days. We want to love life and see good days. Responding evil for evil is not even in our own personal interests. It will not work out for our good. That sinful responses only cause more problems, deeper issues. They do not resolve anything. They don't bring solutions, but rather bring more problems. Don't respond evil for evil if you want to love life and see good days. Number two, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And I don't want to trade that in. If I start doing evil, then I'm trading that in. God says, my eyes are on you and I am hearing your prayers. When you do not respond evil for evil, when you do not insult for insult, but instead give a blessing, my eyes are on you. I see what you're going through and I'm listening to your prayers. Number three, if we respond evil for evil, then that shows our critics to be correct. The worst thing that we can do in trying to be a light in the world is be darkness. If we respond as the world treats us, then there is no way that we will ever be able to show them the light of Christ. And their then insults and their slander and their malignment is correct. And finally, God has not forgotten you that has you in that moment. And that's a hard one. But it's a necessary one to be able to get through hardships. God has you here. You're not here by accident. He's going to carry you through. And he can help you. God sees. And we can respond with good deeds. And right words. Because we know that's God's will. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, life can be so hard. And we can go through so much pain. And it's amazing the amount of hurt that we can experience from others. We can experience those things from people that are very close to us that we think are trusted. 
And sometimes, Lord, it can cause us to not want to do right anymore. Lord, sometimes we feel like that we are vindicated for saying things we ought not to say and doing things we ought not to do because other people are saying things they ought not to say and doing things they ought not to do to us. So, Lord, I pray first that you would forgive us for when we have returned insult for insult. Forgive us for when we have done evil to eat for evil. Forgive us when we have acted just like the world and how we've treated other people who've harmed us. And second, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to know that you see what we go through. Give us the confidence to know that you are with us. Help us to know that you have not left us alone in this moment, but you are bringing us through these dark valleys so that we would be refined and we would do what is right. So, Lord, help us to see your hand and not run from you in our dark days of suffering, but instead turn to you and give the right answer to those who desire to mistreat us and speak evil about us help us have the strength in you to endure and lord we see that endurance in so many of your people that are written in the scriptures give us that faith and strengthen our resolve to always do right and to always represent you in our words no matter what anybody else does to us. In Jesus' name we pray this tonight. Amen. You know, this summer we're going to have a summer series out of Jonah and Nahum that are going to be just really keen in on these ideas of how to handle hard, hard calls from God and still do what is right. And I'm looking forward to that series with you in July. Just made me think of that as we've looked at Peter today and think about how hard it can be to do what God calls us to do in the face of such difficulties. We encourage you to think about where you are with God this very evening. Can we help you turn to God with all of your heart? Do you need encouragement in your trial? God has given us this family so that we can encourage one another and strengthen one another in our times of suffering. When we go through those hardships, that we're here to have each other's back and to carry each other along. If there's anything we can do to help you respond to God and the gospel, we're here to do that. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?